This week we celebrate Easter and the Lord's resurrection, and we'll talk about what exactly that means for us, and where do we find our comfort from, the sentimentality of Easter or in something else. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, April 20th, 2014. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The uh, Easter is finally here, which is pretty exciting if you're one that follows the church year and maybe one of your favorite times. Who would say Easter is their favorite time of the church year? Or Christmas. We got like a battle, right? So we could make this like the, that uh, medieval times. We could make this side like the Christmas side and this side the Easter side. We could have like a battle. But uh, most people would fit in those two categories. As you talk about the highlights of your Christian year, you would say it's probably Easter or Christmas. Once in a while, I run into someone who likes Lent. Is anybody Lent as their favorite holiday? We got a couple. You also like Tim Burton movies, I'm guessing, Edward Scissorhands and things like that, right? A <laughs> little too creepy for me, so I just, I, I'm kind of a, let's stick with Easter. And Easter has this renewal and this joy and all these wonderful things that go with it. it but that first Easter is not like that. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time looking at the first Easter and then talk about what does that actually mean for us today. Here's the account that it has in the book of Matthew. It says, after the Sabbath at dawn... Uh, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And from other parts in Scripture, we know they had an intention. They tried to get up early to try and prepare Jesus' body again. So I'm going to kind of roll back in time here to cover where we're at. It's a really busy week, and it's what we know as Holy Week. But to them, it was not Holy Week. To us, we know that this is coming. To them, it was not Holy Week. It's an average week, except there's a festival in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, that meant that normally there'd be like 70,000 people or so in Jerusalem, which would be kind of the size of uh, Castle Rock is 50,000, spread way out. And then I think we could fold in Castle Pines in there. So we'd have about 70,000 people. But it balloons up to, according to Josephus, who stretches the truth a little bit, but according to Josephus, 2 million people. So you can imagine it would be as uncomfortable as you are as everyone has to sit right next to each other in this room. So we'll add more seats next year. But it was really tight, and you can imagine the devout Jewish people were really excited about it. The non-devout Jewish people probably left town and rented their flat out or their apartment to try and make some money. But people just hoarded in here. They're packed in, and the, the thing that kicks off that week, if you know it, is Palm Sunday, which was just like a week ago that we celebrated it. So the palm branches come out. The people are going crazy. They're yelling that this is the son of David. He's the king. They're, everyone's really excited about it. Jesus uh, rides in on this donkey. But that's not the only thing that happens during that week. The next day, do you know what happens? Famous stories you might know. How about that? Reasonably famous stories where Jesus overturns the tables and he has the whip and he drives out the people trying to make money. Uh, that happens the next day. It happens on Monday. Uh, the widow's might. Have you heard of the widow and her might? If you know the story, that happens that same week. So Jesus is teaching in the temple and they're observing people putting their offerings in and Jesus teaches about this. Of course, Thursday night comes and you know that's when uh, Jesus institutes or starts the Lord's Supper. So we got kind of all this going on. Now just think about what, what were you doing today's Sunday? What were you doing Friday morning at 9 o'clock? Probably the kids, were you just settling into school? If you had school, you're probably just getting ready. Things are getting going. It's at 9 o'clock, the Bible tells us, that Jesus is on the cross and starting to be crucified, you would say at that. And just as kids, you're getting ready to be done with school. Uh, maybe you work till 5, but you start to check out mentally at about 3. At 3 o'clock, Jesus is already dead, and they're taking his body down from the cross. And they have to hurry up to kind of get this done. So the Passover starts at 6 o'clock, so they say, let's take this body down. 
and we got to get him in a tomb before 6 o'clock because you can't do any work starting at 6 o'clock. So they hurry, they get the body down, they kind of uh, hurriedly wrap it up with all kinds of spices, and the ladies don't know all the details to this, and they put Jesus in the tomb. Well, in the meantime, the, the, the ladies decide we have to go and give Jesus our proper respects, we have to bury him properly, we need to mourn over him, we need some closure. So they decide, um, let's go Sunday morning and let's, uh, let's go to the tomb. They haven't even thought how they're going to move the stone or anything like that. Let's go Sunday morning and see. And as much joy and anticipation we have today on Easter, they did not have. So it says, in the meantime, though, before they get here, here's the deal. There's a violent earthquake. An angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. No special effects, like no pyrotechnics, no backlighting, just the most terrifying being you can imagine now present in front of these soldiers. And the soldiers, of course, are freaked out. Just say, I, I'm not going to ask, has anyone seen an angel? But just imagine, like on this mortal world, you see this holy being glowing with light and how terrifying that would be. It'd be like, um, you ever see the movies or if, I don't know if this is in like the cop show or something like that, but where they roll in those stun bombs, what do they call it? Are they called stun bombs? We'll just pretend. They're called stun bombs. Flashbang? That is the lamest name I've ever heard. It's like a bad superhero. Hi, I'm Flashbang. Well, they, <laughs> Flashbang? Oh. Okay, so they, they pull out a flashbang and they roll it into the room and if you've ever seen these in action, you've heard it, you shouldn't have seen these in action. That means you're not doing things you should. But if you, if you know what this is like, the light goes off. It's so bright that they can't see. It, it like overwhelms your senses. And it overwhelms your ears because it's so loud. And you can't even function. It kind of deadens your sentences, senses so that then you're more vulnerable to the police who are coming in to take care of things. Now just imagine why... You can kind of see why God would scare away the guards. Okay, we get that. The guards are going to be bad, and they're going to be mean to the ladies, and this isn't good. So God scares them away with the angel. But God still sends the angel to talk to the ladies. Does that make sense to you? Can you imagine me using one of these flashbangs? Stun bombs? Can you imagine using one of these stun bombs? I just roll it into my kid's room. Just let that thing rip, you know, and then they come down like dazed, and they're like, what is it, Dad? I'm like, dinner's ready. Like, is this how you would deliver messages? Doesn't it seem a little over the top to try and do something like that? Why would God decide, I'm going to send a terrifying being that is no doubt, as it says, the angel said to the women, his first words of his mouth, do not be afraid. That's how angels roll. Angels are so scary. They're not like precious moment little statues. They're so scary that whenever they appear to people, their first words are always, don't be afraid. And God uses angels because sometimes the message is so important that you get over the scary part. When John the baptizer, if you've heard of him, or John the Baptist, people call him, when he's about to be born, what does God use to announce it? An angel. And the angel, of course, says, do not be afraid. When Mary is going to be pregnant with the Savior of the world, who does God use to announce this? An angel. When, uh, you might even know this from um, Christmas. And there's shepherds living out in the fields nearby in Luke 2, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared. We don't even have the whole host of angels yet. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And you know how the next line goes? If you watch Snoopy. And they were terrified. 
Sometimes the message is so important that people are willing to get over it. And I'll give you an example. Um, obviously, we don't do flash bombs with my kids, but um, this morning they did not wake up for Easter, which is the first time ever. Usually it's like 3 a.m. because they have to follow the jelly bean trails, you know, and go find their Easter basket. They weren't up. We woke them up. Do you think my kids were angry? Like on a school day, if you wake them up, kids generally are not happy about this. When my alarm wakes me up, it's not like you start whistling like Cinderella or something. You're like, really? But when you wake your kids up, sometimes the news is so good, it's worth the frustrating part of waking them up. You tell them it's a snow day. You tell them it's Christmas. You tell them if it really is Christmas. And then you tell them that it's not April 1st or something like that. But if you tell them the real deal, they kind of soon get over that. It seems the ladies do too. So the angel comes to the women. He says, do not be afraid. Let me ask you something else. Would that take away your fear? If someone just says, don't be afraid, have you ever been really scared and someone says, just don't be afraid? I don't think it would. So I'll give you a scenario. You and I are flying on this jet, a commercial airline, and we have, uh, we have seats, and you just see the smoke coming out of one of the engines. And you just imagine this scenario, and has this happened to anybody? I, that, that I know of, it's never happened to me. I don't pay attention on the flight. So as far as I know, maybe that did happen. So you're on this flight, and then the captain gets on the speaker, and they train the captains. I know a guy who trains uh, airline pilots to be as bored as possible whenever they get on the loudspeaker. Have you ever noticed that? They're like, like Doug the dog from Up. Whatever they look at, they just tell you, like, yeah, this is your captain speaking, and uh, got some clouds over on the right. Altitude, 30,000 feet. Uh, he's, like, checking email while he's telling you these important things. He's like, co-pilot's Bill. We'll get there about four minutes early. So imagine the captain gets on the speaker now. What would you want him to say if one of the jets is out? I would want him to say, this is your captain. In, in, in the simulator, I have landed this plane, this exact plane, 1,000 times with one engine. I'd be like, okay, do not be afraid, right? What if he said, in real life, I have landed this plane with one engine 100 times? I would feel better and then switch airlines when I got down. But, I mean, you would feel better, wouldn't you, that says this is it. This is what the angels are doing. They're saying, do not be afraid, and that's not where it is. And now he gives the assurance. I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. So come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So now they have this assurance. And do you think this took away all their fears? It should, right? I mean, the, if the airline pilot said, I have, I've landed this thing a hundred times in real life. I have done it on the simulator a thousand times. Would that take away all your fears? We'd just go right back to sleep. Just start going sky mall. You're like, well, I'm going to live anyway. I might as well see what I can order. Or would there still be a little bit of trepidation? I, it seems for these ladies, there's still a little bit. So it says the women hurried away from the tomb afraid, yet filled with joy. Does that make sense? How can you be filled with joy and afraid at the same time? I'll give you some examples. Uh, someone tells you, uh, you get an email. You get an email and it says, this is the king of Nigeria and I have a million dollars for you. You know, there's a sense of joy. Remember the first time you got one of these emails? You're like, oh, oh, oh. And then you check snoops and you're utterly disappointed. 
Well, there's a sense, though. There's a sense of joy, right? And then they, this, maybe this isn't real. Like, this, this is a trick. Maybe someone at work says, I think you're going to get a raise. So there's a sense of joy. But then you wonder, is this really real? Is this going to make sense? Um, someone says, I love you. Our deepest need as human beings is to know that we're loved. Someone says, I love you. There's some joy, but there's also a little bit of fear, isn't there, that this is maybe too good to be true. Let me spin it a little bit towards relationships. Uh, someone says, uh, someone that you know and love is struggling with addiction, and they say, you know what? I am done with alcohol forever. There's some joy, but there's also a little bit of fear that this isn't true. That now they're going to stop sabotaging behavior and things like that. Maybe you've made that same promise to yourself. There's plenty, I would say we're conditioned as human beings to trust that some things are too good to be true. I mean, that's a phrase, right? You check the Craigslist deal, and it's like a little bit too good, and you're like, eh. Uh, you check eBay, it's a little bit too much. Do you wonder, do you think the ladies on some level thought maybe this is too good to be true? This whole idea of Jesus fulfilling what he came to do, this whole idea of God listening to our prayers, this whole idea that our sins are gone, does that seem a little bit too good to be true? I got a test for you. I thought of one of you as I wrote this out. So you, you have to determine if it's you, and you can send me a text message. It's a little bit long, but stick with me here. It says some of your aspirations, and it's a little bit cheeky, but uh, um, some of your aspirations tend to be pretty unrealistic. At times, you're extroverted, affable, sociable. Well, at other times, you are introverted, wary, and reserved. You have found it unwise to be too frank in revealing yourself to others. You pride yourself on being an independent thinker and do not accept others' opinions without satisfactory proof. You prefer a certain amount of change in variety and become dissatisfied when hemmed in by restrictions and limitations. At times, you have serious doubts as to whether you have made the right decision or done the right thing. Can the person I'm thinking of figure out if it's them? If I would ask you to send a text message to me, how many text messages do you think would come to me right now? I think 100, we got about 150 people, and kids have cell phones. I think I would get 150 text messages. It's like, Pastor, how do you know this about me? Right? I would, I would be text messaging myself. I'm like, how do you know that? Right? This describes every one of us. I got this from an article talking about cold readings. When they, they use this techniques in like baiting and fishing to try and get people, like, this is a horoscope actually, um, it's a, to try and, it's so open and loose that you say like, this is really me. They really know this about me. And here's what it comes down to. Why are we so wary about being tricked when things are too good to be true? Because we've been tricked. Everybody in this room at some point has trusted someone or something, and you've been tricked. And you say, like, I'm going to just be a little bit more wary in the future. Every one of us has been in a relationship, and it, things have been fantastic, and then that person lied to you. Every one of us has dealt with someone we love that has said, you know what, I'm going to stop this destructive behavior, but it doesn't stop. And so we kind of build this shell that says, when things are that good, I'm just not going to fully trust that they're Okay. And I think on some level we do that with a resurrection. I think on some level we think like this news of I know what I've done. God knows what I've done. This idea that God can come and forgive me seems a little bit too good to be true. If you have not been made fun of, if you have not had people eye roll you, if you have not felt weird saying that I'm a Christian who believes in a physical resurrection of Jesus, you probably haven't lived long enough or you probably haven't stated your faith clearly enough. 
Because to the whole world, this is nuts. To the whole world, this is crazy. And none of this makes any sense until you meet Jesus. These women are afraid, and suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came and clasped his feet and worshipped him, and then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. My friends, you're not tricked. The, the resurrection is not a Ponzi scheme that we're trying to figure out. That Jesus literally, actually, really raised from the dead. Jesus really, actually, completely took away your sins. And when God says, this is what I require for your salvation, and he says, I want uh, someone to live perfectly in your place, Jesus did it. It's done. God says, I want someone to die innocently in your place. It's done. God says, as proof, I want resurrection. It's done. That is the joy of resurrection. That is the truth of resurrection. But let me ask you this. How many of you have an HD TV? I should probably ask, who, who does not have an HD flat screen TV? You do too. You don't? Well, that could change because even the cheap pastor now has a flat screen HD TV. This is a new thing in January. So now, if you don't have one of those, you can go home and you can say to your wife, the pastor's the cheapest guy I know in the whole world and he's got one, baby. I don't have cable, though, so that's not going to work to your favor. So don't, you know, make that a separate argument if you ask for cable. So I've got an antenna TV. Have you ever watched HDTV with the, even an antenna or cable and you watch sporting events and it's like you're really there and you kind of stand? How many of you watch and stand to watch the game because it's like so vivid and cool? It's like 3D and they got the cameras now. It is probably arguably more fun to watch the game on your TV at home than it is at the actual stadium where you're like eight gazillion miles away. Um, it's more fun to be in church live, just for the record. This is, HD is not, it's not good for us. But it's awesome, and it's really cool. Are there any shows you hate watching in HD? This is really troublesome for me. Um, Amy and I would watch movies, and it almost seems like you're watching a Broadway play because it looks like people in costumes to me. Does anyone get that feeling because it's so vivid? And especially period. Have you ever watched, like, Downton Abbey or something like that? You're like, these are just people in costumes. But shh. You know, like, right, yeah, right, so it's, it's so real. You know what I miss? NFL films. I don't know what kind of magic filter they put on that thing, but if I could look at life with NFL films filter on, it would be magical, right? You know, they, this game could be like two weeks ago, and they, have you ever seen that? I saw the replay of the Super Bowl this year and they put the NFL Films filter on it, it seems like you're in this magic place. It's not 3D. The ball goes in slow motion, and it goes like this. When it's cold out, they see the guys going like this. You can see it, and then the breath shoots out their mouth. Don't you love that? There's the voiceover, and then they have the players talking, and they get this, you just get engrossed by the game. You're like, this is the coolest thing in the whole world. I never want to leave. Sometimes, you're like, what does this have to do with Easter? Um, Sometimes I think we see the stories in the Bible kind of like with that NFL films filter on. You ever think of like the birth of Jesus and you picture like the angels humming Silent Night in the background? And there's like a glow over the manger. How many of you picture it like that? Or how many picture like an actual birth? I don't think anybody. We just picture it goes like from magically from here wrapped in swaddling clothes and the, even the cows are humming like you know, it doesn't even smell like a barn. You know, it smells perfect and everything's wonderful. You know, we get like kind of this filter on. How many of you have done that with the resurrection story? And when you see pictures like this of the tomb, it, it took the light away, but there's like backlighting and, and they just, you know, the shroud, Jesus made sure to like lay it out just right. And he goes out and the lighting is perfect and the sun is coming up just right and there's flowers. Of course, it's blooming and everything's fantastic. How many of you picture the resurrection 
and there's music in the background and backlighting. Sometimes our comfort when it comes to holidays involves the sentimentality of it. That's, that to some degree functions like that for Easter, especially Christmas, but Easter as well. How many of you can picture the ham when you go to your grandma's house and you can smell that? I can, my grandma's not alive anymore. I can still picture all the cousins. We would go down the stairs. She had two kitchens. That's how, that's how much business my grandma meant. She had one bathroom in their house and two kitchens. She's obviously into cooking. We have three bathrooms and one kitchen, so I don't know what that says about our family, but the, um, we're into being clean. So the, um, my grandma would go down there, and you could smell the ham, and I could, still, I could just picture it right now. Or you can probably sense, like when you're a kid, like finding the Easter eggs. I could still picture the three places my dad hid my Easter basket. We had five kids. You run out of spots. So he's like, I don't know. Let's just put it behind the curtain. And, you know, you could still picture these things. And you could picture the jelly beans and you could, the trail. And I could picture my mom's decorations and all this warmness that comes, the, the exact things my mom served every year. And there's this warmness to it, isn't it? And you get to experience that today. But my question is, how far does that go? When you got real problems when you got real relationship issues and you really wonder, where do I stand before a holy God? The sentimentality and the filter of NFL films only goes so far. What I'm here to tell you, if you just remember one thing from all of today, in real HD TV, a human being came to this earth. In real live, no backlighting, no sound, the God-man Jesus was killed. In real HD TV, in real, real life, there it is, a terrifying angel appeared to some women and says the message that God wants to tell you. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Do not be afraid. Amen.